Hi. How are you? Thanks for coming down. Hi, Richard O'Driscoll. I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly, and today on The Detail, I'm meeting Richard O'Driscoll on Auckland's waterfront, where it's threatening to rain on our interview. Richard is Niwa's chief scientist for fisheries. So I watched the sea sparrow this morning. Have you seen it? I have. I watched it at my parents' place um, right. when we were en route on their way up to holiday because they had Netflix and I wanted to see what all the fuss was about. Yeah, yeah. Well, there has been a lot of fuss um, about and it. Has. And the fuss is about this. The slaughter of these dolphins is a reaction to the overfishing that's happening. We hear a lot about blood diamonds. This is blood shrimp. We are at war with the oceans, and if we win this war, we're going to lose it all because mankind is not able to live on this planet with the Dead Sea. A Netflix documentary called Seaspiracy, 90 minutes of shocking footage and depressing data on the state of the oceans. I just don't see how you could possibly enforce sustainable fishing laws with all these boats. The same syndicates that are behind illegal fishing are the same criminal groups that are behind drug trafficking, human trafficking and other crimes. So there's no slavery going on? No, no. It's in there, it's it's been slammed as misleading with incorrect statistics and a very negative, one-sided view of the impact of the commercial fishing industry. But the thing is, celebrities are urging their millions of followers to watch it. Viewers are vowing to give up eating fish, which is exactly what the documentary maker wants. If you want to address climate change, the first thing you do is protect the ocean. And the solution to that is very simple. Leave it alone. So are things so bad that we should all go fish-free? I was sort of a little reluctant to be bought into it because there's been a lot of commentary on it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, our organisation is involved in fisheries research yeah. and, we, and we are uh, well-equipped to comment on some of the issues that are raised. There's a number of points that they've made, that so-called facts that have been debunked. I am aware of that. But I think what it's done is raise people's awareness and even fear about the state of our oceans. I want to look at what's going on in New Zealand. And as a consumer... You know, unfortunately, it took something like this. We, we saw the release of the Prime Minister's Chief Science Advisor, Juliet Gerard's report on New Zealand fisheries in March, which yep. generated almost zero interest. Kate Evans wrote an award-winning piece for New Zealand Geographic in 2019 on New Zealand fisheries, which didn't get picked up and carried forward. It, it takes something like this where well, people that's... make extreme claims um, to get the conversation started. And so um, in that respect, I guess it has some benefit. My name is Ali. I've been fascinated with the ocean for as long as I can remember. But this romantic vision that I always had of the ocean completely changed. I was forced to confront a side of the story I never knew, a story of just how huge our impact on the seas had become. Filmmaker Ali Tabrizi has travelled around the world getting up close to things like shark finning, Japan's dolphin hunting, plastic pollution and dumping of bycatch. He's interviewed scientists, activists and conservationists to reach a conclusion that our oceans are in huge trouble. 
And that's why I'm talking to Richard O'Driscoll. I have a, a team of somewhere between 80 and 100 people which are spread throughout New Zealand uh, and we provide scientific advice which allows the government to manage New Zealand's fisheries. So we provide the information which allow commercial quotas to be set, recreational bag limits. We do some work for Department of Conservation, regional councils, fishing industry directly and we do work overseas as well. How would you describe the state of the fisheries in New Zealand at the moment? New Zealand fisheries in general are in a pretty good state Uh, and I'll qualify that by saying the ones that we know we have information about are in a good state. So of the uh, 160 odd fish stocks, so that's species and areas that we have information, we don't think there are sustainability concerns with about 80% of those stocks, which represents uh, something like 90% of the commercial catch. But there are another uh, 200 odd stocks which represent 30% of the commercial catch that we don't have the information to make that judgement about whether we're fishing sustainably or not. Why don't you have that information? Uh, It comes down to money at at the end of the day. So um, we tend to do the most research on the fish stocks and the fisheries that are worth more. So there are a lot of associated species or species with uh, very small catches where the amount of money that those fisheries generate really doesn't justify the cost of doing the research to find out the state of the stocks. So what does that mean? Does that mean that you're relying on the people who go out fishing to give you information or does it just mean you just don't know? It means we just don't know. So of the 160 that we do know something, stocks that we do know something about, a lot of the information that from which we base our information on those stocks is commercial catch and effort data, so how easy it is for the commercial fishers to catch fish. For some of these other 200-odd stocks that we don't know anything about, uh, even that basic information, although it might exist, doesn't allow us to detect a signal about um, whether the fishery is sustainable, healthy or going up or going down. How do you get your information? How do you research the state of the fisheries? To know about the state of, of, of fisheries we need to know how many fish are in the water uh, and we need to uh, monitor how that's changing over time uh, and we need to know something about the basic biology of the species, what, what its mortality or death rate is, how many fish are being born. And so we get that information from a variety of sources. Uh, I guess the best and gold standard way is we actually go out and do a research survey. We do things like trawl surveys where we use the same vessel, use the same gear, uh, we go to specific randomly picked locations and we do standard length uh, fishing events and then we count up the fish that we catch and we weigh and we measure everything we've caught and that gives us a very good relative estimate of abundance. It doesn't necessarily tell us absolutely how many fish are there but it will tell us whether they're more or less than last time and some of these series go back 30 or 40 years so we've got a very good picture of whether uh, the stock is going up or down. We also use things like uh, echo sounders to do acoustic surveys so we use sound to count fish up particularly when fish are aggregated or in schools to spawn. We do uh, potting surveys for things like blue cod. We uh, do longline surveys for things like toothfish. So we actually, uh, uh, it's researchers on vessels collecting specific data. The other key source of information is the commercial uh, catch and effort data. That's important to know how many fish are being taken out of the ocean, uh, but also the catch rate, how easy it is for them to catch fish, how many fishing events they need to do to catch the the amount of fish. Uh, that 
uh, we assume is also an indicator of how many fish are there. The more fish there are, the easier they should be to catch. I was actually fishing out at Great Barrier uh, over summer and managed to c- catch a couple of beautiful big snapper, which we then threw back yep. because, and this was all a new experience to me, because I was told that they were breeders, so they'd need to go back in the ocean, but took home you know, some smaller ones. Mm-hmm. But, you know, mostly you seem to hear that things are in a, in a bad way. I think it's an exaggeration, certainly in New Zealand, and I think worldwide as well. So 20 or 30 years ago, the message was more negative. Over the last 20 years, uh, we've seen an improvement in fish stocks around New Zealand uh, and around the world, in a, in a general sense. There are still some things that are going down, uh, but stocks that we thought were on on the way out have actually turned round through reduction in fishing pressure. The snapper stocks that you talked about are an example of those. So we've seen big increases uh, in snapper on the west coast of both the North and South Island. We're doing work at the moment on the east coast of the North Island, including in the Hauraki Gulf, and the indications from that work is that snapper in this area have also increased. Has it recovered back to the levels that we want it to be? Well, we're doing the, the work at the moment to determine that, but I, I can certainly say that there are more snapper out there than, than there were 20 years ago. But are there other stocks, other species that aren't doing so well? We've got some concern around some of the Cherokee stocks, uh, particularly on the east coast of the North and South Island. Uh, the crayfish stock in the Bay of Plenty and up in this area, um, which you would have heard something about. There's some scallop fisheries, um, particularly the one in uh, Tasman Golden Bay, which is uh, considered collapsed. There's a couple of orange roughy fisheries which are closed. Uh, we've got uh, blue nose and cardinal fish fisheries, for example, which we believe are depleted, uh, and there's been uh, major catch reductions in those fisheries because of that. When you say the industry or the state of the fishery 20 years ago was portrayed as being much more negative, well, this documentary that's come out is very negative. One of the claims made is that by 2048 there will be no more fish in the sea. Before I address the 2048 claim, I think, I think it's seaspiracy in general... Uh, to me, I was, I was disappointed and frustrated that f- marine fisheries and oceans management is a very complicated issue. They did a very tabloid journalist-type treatment of it, and they drew a conclusion which was simple and wrong. So to me, uh, f- marine fisheries and aquaculture are not the problem, they're part of the solution. We have to feed the what is it, nearly nearly 8 billion people in the world and marine fisheries and aquaculture provide a mechanism to, to provide food for the human population. To go back to the 2048 claim, that was based on quite an old paper, mm. uh, which was based on old data at the time. It was a gross exaggeration of an old claim, which has since been refuted by the general scientific community. It's interesting that uh, fisheries scientists across the spectrum, from very conservation-minded to extraction-driven, if you like, um, scientists uh, are all agreeing um, uh, on some of the points that are made, and that is that, that you know the claims that are made are exaggerations. They're no longer valid. Uh, nobody, certainly in the mainstream fishery science community, believes we're going to run out of fish by 2048. It's the shame of this this documentary is that 
that there's some very real issues in fisheries. Sustainability is, is an obvious one. The environmental impacts in mm. terms of bycatch, uh, effects on the seabed, plastic pollution, uh, there's climate change on top of that. So, that, so these are a very real bycatch, very real issues that we should be talking about. But the problem with the this program is it made these exaggerated claims or provided misinformation and people, some people take that at face value and they go oh that's horrific and they stop eating fish which is not the answer no. and, and others will look at it and they'll see the holes in it immediately and they'll provide some, they'll, they'll do some critical thinking and they go no, well that can't be right and as soon as you find one hole you, you start to mistrust the whole basis for the program and that's unfortunate because we should be talking about these issues but we shouldn't be talking about them in such a extreme black and white way. It does look at the plastic pollution and it does look at the impact of climate change and it also looks at bycatch. was all the other marine life caught while trying to catch a target species and I was shocked to learn that every year at least 50 million sharks are caught in nets this way side by side with our favourite seafood. Studies estimate that up to 40% of all marine life caught gets thrown right back overboard as bycatch, and most of them die before they even hit the water. That is, again, misinformation. So let me explain why. You said you went fishing at Great Barrier and you caught some snapper. When I last went fishing in this area, I caught snapper, but I also caught kawai, mackerel. We got a kingfish as well. By the seaspiracy claim, Mm. that's all bycatch. But for me as a fisher, that's not bycatch because I utilised that. I was very happy to take it home. I was targeting snapper. I wanted to catch snapper. But when I caught a kawai, I wasn't disappointed. It's like, great, I caught a kawai. You know, that's kai for the family. And it's the same in the commercial sense. They treat anything that isn't a target species as bycatch. But when you go out and you do a trawl for snapper and you catch Cherokee and Gurnard and John Dory... That, under the seaspiracy definition, is bycatch, but it's utilised bycatch. So it's come ashore, it's sold, it's declared against the quota management system, uh, and it's not discarded. And, and people assume that the bycatch is discarded. Some we'll, is, we'll, though, isn't Worldwide, it? the estimates of the discards is about 10%. Now, right. that's still too high, and that's what we uh, should be addressing. And in New Zealand, it's probably less than that, particularly in our larger fisheries. Uh, most of the fish that come aboard a vessel under the quota management system, uh, they have have to be bought in and sold. So the discarding of fish for most species, the ones that can't be released alive, discarding's illegal. Will there ever be a time where you don't have any bycatch at all? You know, if you change the system, upgrade the system, improve methods... We're doing that all the time. We're making improvements. So, uh, you know, there's non-fish bycatch as well. So we've seen some real advances in the industry about trying to reduce uh, incidental capture of seabirds uh, and marine mammals. So seals, sea lions in particular, but also dolphins. So doing some really innovative stuff, which has had effects. So we've seen real decreases in the incidence of bycatch through the innovation uh, that's coming through from the scientists and from the industry working together. it would be a, it's a vision, um, but it's not a, it's not something that we're going to achieve in the short term to be able to only catch the things that you're targeting. Uh, you can do it to a greater or lesser extent in some fisheries. So if you target fish at a particular time of year when they're all schooled up together, you have much lower rates of bycatch. Uh, if you're fishing in the inshore areas where there's a wide mix of species living together, you're always going to catch a mix of species. But to me, as long as we're utilising what we catch and we're assessing 
the status of all of the species, then uh, that's not a bad uh, it's not a bad thing. We might have to reduce the fishing on snapper to protect terakee mm. if we've got problems with terakee. Uh, we might have to just catch less snapper in the areas where we're concerned about terakee. Or, you know, we might have to be smart about modifying gear to avoid terakee by, you know, fishing with different nets or at different depths or different methods, you know, longline fishing versus trawl fishing versus, you know, some fisheries pot, pot fishing. OK, the pollution, the plastic pollution. Even the groups that are talking about marine plastic are highly reluctant to talk about what a lot of that plastic is, which is fishing nets and fishing gear. We hear a lot about the Great Pacific Garbage Patch and say, oh, isn't it terrible? All our cotton buds and plastic bags are are swirling around in the Great Pacific Garbage Patch. 46% of it is fishing nets, discarded fishing nets, which are far more dangerous for marine life than our plastic straws because, of course, they're designed to kill. Now, this is so crashingly obvious. Why aren't we talking about it? Why aren't even the plastics campaigns talking about fishing? How had I not heard about this before? Fishing vessels discard a massive amount of ropes and lines, and this was a major problem. Don't get me wrong. Mm. Uh, Plastic pollution and pollution from fishing is a real issue and concern and something that we need to address and improve. But the numbers that were quoted, you know, 50% of the rubbish is plastic in the ocean is from, from fishing. That's no longer true. There's a complication in that bigger items tend to be more visible. Uh, and float. So fishing rubbish, which tends to be things like floats and nets and things, is easier to count than smaller items that might sink to the bottom of the sea and not be so easy easy to count. Fishing certainly contributes to plastic pollution in the ocean and we need to do better but to say it's the only problem and we shouldn't worry about using plastic straws or do our bit by picking up plastic rubbish off beaches or not using you know single use shopping bags we, we can all improve on that mm. you and I as much as the fishing industry You know this documentary is saying stop no, eating I think, fish. I think documentary is a stretch Yeah okay so this film this is program, saying yeah, yeah this program is saying stop eating fish and that's a preposterous idea but should we reduce the amount of fish that we're eating? I think everybody has to make a judgment call about what they are and aren't eating Mm. uh, because everything that we eat will have an environmental impact. I think the claim to stop eating fish is just plain wrong um, as I said, you know, what is the nearly 8 billion people in the world? Uh, my understanding is that nearly half of those people depend on fish as a protein source, and for some of them it's the pr- primary uh, protein source. And to deprive those people of that protein source without providing an alternate, a realistic alternative, I think is naive. And, and even if you look at the, the, the cost of production in terms of the environmental footprint, um, fisheries and aquaculture, wild capture fisheries and marine aquaculture are some of the lowest uh, impact ways of producing protein. We, we should be continuing to uh, take advantage of the, the marine life that has helped sustain human populations for millions of years and, and make sure it continues to sustain us into the future. I pulled out part of this report from uh, Professor Dame Juliette Gerard, mm-hmm. who is the Prime Minister's Chief Science Advisor. And the point that Juliette Gerard makes is that we know, and this, these are her words, frighteningly little about the oceans we are exploiting. 
uh, and then she goes on to say plugging that knowledge gap is where we need to start. But So how do we plug that knowledge gap? If her report, this very important report, is getting no attention... Well, I hope it is getting attention by the people that matter. So instead of a minister for primary industries, we now have a minister of oceans and fisheries, uh, David Parker, and uh, Juliet Gerard has tasked that ministry with coming up with an ocean plan. So that's inclusive of fisheries and all of the other things that we do in the ocean, which will give a vision that we can work towards. And then we need the information that informs that vision. And as... Uh, Dame Juliet Gerard points out, uh, we, we st- there's still a lot that we don't know uh, about about what goes on in the ocean. For some things, we don't even know who eats who. Um, just basic biology: how how old things grow, uh, how how many fish are being born, uh, how how to monitor some of the species that we uh, that we're exploiting. So th- that can only be filled by um, getting better information. Unfortunately, collecting information and, and, and informing ourselves better costs money, and that's the balance that we've got to live with. Uh, everything, you know, we, we generate income from the oceans, but to know more, it's going to cost more as well. And, yeah. and we're in a, an environment now where um, we're trying to recover from a, from a pandemic, and, yeah. and, and money is not flush. No. I mean, this programme really has a go at the commercial fishing industry, um, and and the thing is, I mean, George Monbiot, who's a well-known conservationist, um, writes for The Guardian. I mean, he describes the boats as a death machine and says commercial fishing is more damaging than plastic pollution. Well, the, the, the problem is um, when you're harvesting animals for food, you are causing death. There is no avoiding that. And so by saying a commercial fishing boat like the one behind us is a death machine is actually a factual statement. They are out there killing fish to provide food for us to eat Mm. uh, in the same way that uh, a freezing works is killing animals to provide food for us to eat. Uh, And there is no avoiding that. uh, And if you're not comfortable with that morally, then perhaps you shouldn't be eating fish or eating animals. Um, If you are comfortable with that, then uh, you have to acknowledge that animals have to die or fish have to die to provide food for us. Um, once, so, so once you've got over that sort of moral um, impasse, um, so, so when, when that person says that they're more destructive than plastic pollution, I, I, I'm interested to know what metric. So I'm looking for the next statement after that. It's easy to make the headline claim, but back it up. Say, say what you mean by more destructive. Mm. Uh, in terms of what? In terms of um, does the fishing industry kill more hokey every year than plastic pollution, almost undoubtedly because they're going out there to target hokey to provide fish fingers and McDonald's fillet of fish. That's what they're out there to do. They're out there to catch fish to provide food. Right. Um, plastic pollution, the impact on hokey in New Zealand waters are probably minor. So, so that claim, you know, taken at face value, you go, yeah, well, it may be, but it's what's behind the headline that I think we need to, to give more critical thought to. And Richard O'Driscoll says, as a consumer, if you want to make good choices, look for the blue tick on fish products that indicate sustainability. That's it for today. I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. The detail is brought to you by newsroom.co.nz and made possible by RNZ and NZ On Air. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. And if you're using Apple, leave us a rating so others can find us too. Today's episode was engineered by Flo Wilson and produced by 
Alexia Russell. And thanks to Richard O'Driscoll. Mā te wā. Thank you.